Here on ESPN, alongside longtime U.S. international Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 320 of this show, Herc, where among other things, we are celebrating U.S. soccer's year-end awards. How about that? Another title for Christian Pulisic. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't want to talk about these titles anymore. You see Coach, you see Coach Beard over there? See Coach Beard mm-hmm. presenting Christian Pulisic? I love how they put Hollywood person, and it's uh, Brendan Hunt, our good friend, Coach Beard. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. As look, I'm tired of these awards and Ballon d'Or, the best U.S. soccer, everything. I'm done. Herc, bitter about the awards. What a way to uh, start the episode here on Football Americas. We got a lot coming up here on the show. Looks like some more information about where the World Cup final might be in 2026. Speaking of awards that you hate, Lionel Messi got another one. That's controversial. Plus, Herc, some big moves. I mean, big moves in the National Women's Soccer League. So lots to talk about there. But why don't we start, since we are smack dab in the middle of the transfer window, with a guy whose name has been all over the transfer wire. Of course, I'm talking about Gio Reyna. The latest coming from our own Julian Laron, who wrote over at ESPN.com, that Reyna is determined to leave Borussia Dortmund this January under the guidance of his new agent, George Mendes. Dortmund reportedly wanting 15 million euros, although a loan move is possible. The 21-year-old has been linked to clubs in the Premier League, Ligue 1, uh, and especially in La Liga, where Sevilla and Real Sociedad seem to be most keen on picking up Gio Reyna. All right, for more on this, let's call on our good friend and colleague, Rodrigo Faez. He's our La Liga insider here on Football Americas. No doubt you've seen him all over our coverage of the Spanish top flight here on ESPN in Spanish. Rodri, uh, great to have you here with us on the show. The last time I saw you anyway, we were dominating the pickup soccer fields in Qatar. So great to have you with us. <laughs> dominating. Yeah. Hello, Sevi. Hello, Hercules. Yeah, I remember that time. I think it was in December when we were mm-hmm. in, in that World Cup, you know, and, and I was with this Sporting Gijon jersey at the same time. Uh, so thank you very much because this is the first time in my ESPN history that I am on air, on camera, with my jersey. So thank you very mm-hmm. much for having me and thank you very hey. much for showing the world. There you go. Football Americas, where we allow people to truly be themselves. That's the, uh, the motto here of the show. All right, let's talk about Gio Reyna, man. It looks like there's a lot of interest from Spain in this player. ESPN mentioning Sevilla, Real Sociedad, Villarreal as well. Rodri, tell us a little bit about what you're hearing about this interest and what the chances are that you think Gio Reyna will end up uh, this January transfer window in Spain. Well, first of all, we get to say that this is something that Gio Reyna would need because he needs more regularity. He needs to be more constantly playing. And, and I think that he needs a more comfortable atmosphere. I, you know, if I look back to his era at Germany, I think that, that he may be a little bit more calmed down here in Spain. And, and indeed, there are two main clubs, which are, for me, the, the front runners to, to get him, which are Real Sociedad and Sevilla, as you mentioned before. Maybe 
Villarreal could be uh, on that race also. But, but I think that maybe Real Sociedad could be the main team for, for Gio Reina. First of all, because they are used to work with young people. They are more open to, to get people like Gio Reina. And they are, you know, like more used than uh, Sevilla to, to be in a comfortable uh, situation. Uh, if you see how Sevilla are working now at the moment, you would see that Sevilla, you know, are in chaos. You, you know, they are in a war on the pitch and they are in a war outside the pitch because of the president are in, you know, trying to slag off the former president. And I think it's not as comfortable as it should be for the arena to play for Real Sofia. So that is why Real Sofia could be a great chance for him to show how uh, he could perform in La Liga. And I think that the, the, the way Real Sociedad and La Liga is for the arena is much better than Bundesliga. Mm. You know what? I, I couldn't agree more about the technical and tactical fit that is La Liga for Gio Reyna. If you remember, Seb, we did specials over the winter, and in my winter wish list, transfer-wise, for Gio Reyna, it was Girona. Girona doesn't look like it's going to happen right now, but Real Sociedad under Imanola Guasil, that's a great possibility just in the tactical setup. He can play anywhere in that front line sans the nine position, but ideally centrally. Uh, Mikel Moreno uh, is a, a player I think he can slot in right there. Mikel Moreno and Gio Reyna, even though Mikel Moreno is six, seven years older than him, have pretty comparable numbers in terms of style of play, in terms of assisting goals. I think that could be something of worth for a team like Real Sociedad, but I agree with Rodi when we're talking about Sevilla. You want to stay as far away as possible from that. Ever since Monchi left and he went to Aston Villa, this team has been on the outs. This team's been going down after that Europa Liga win over Mourinho and Roma. They're, they're about to get relegated in La Liga. You see what type of team it is. They've gone through coaches you know, like underwear. Stay away from there, but as far as a league-wide uh, fit for Gio Reyna, I think it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Hey, he really needs, though, Herc, when we look at Gio Reyna, minutes, right? I mean, since the start of the season with Borussia Dortmund, he's got 320 minutes played. That's almost nothing, just the one start, really not getting opportunities. Real Sociedad is a great team, right? Uh, top six right now in Spain, in the Champions League, real possibilities for European football. Uh, in the short term, obviously, it's there, and then in the long term. But, Rodri, this is a good team for something they're where they are, right? Of, of course, you can tell me Sevilla's chaos, but I'm thinking... Gio Reyna needs to play. He could go to a place like Sevilla, and maybe a, in that chaos, there's more opportunity. Is Gio Reyna going to Real Sociedad and walking into a, a starting spot? Is he going to get real minutes on this team? Because that's what American fans want. Um, they want a good fit, but they want a place where they know he's going to play, Rodri. Yeah, I understand that question, Sevi. For example, if I were a Reina at this moment, I would say, okay, I could go to Sevilla and show and prove my personality, my character, and try to say, okay, I'm here to succeed and try to help Sevilla to be up in the in the in La Liga table. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I'm going to a place where Kike Sanchez Flores, the coach, I mean, he just arrived and he's a more defensive coach than, than, than Imanoli. Imanoli is the kind of coach that he wants to play with youngsters. He loves to play a little bit more in, in, in an attacking way rather than Kike Sanchez Flores that is more defender. So that is why, you know, in between both, I would go to, to, to Real Sociedad because uh, first of all, Imanoli is, for me, much better coach than Kike Sanchez Flores and the project that he's going to be involved in is going to be much more positive and the atmosphere is going to be much more uh, 
more better for him, you know, that he needs to to land in, in La Liga and try to say, okay, I'm not gonna win every single game because this is not Sevilla. They don't really need a Real Sociedad to win every single game to be higher in La, in La Liga table. So that is why, uh, you know, Real Sociedad for me is much more positive for him rather than Sevilla. All right, so we know that Gio Reyna needs a positive atmosphere. You know who could use a little bit of a positive atmosphere? Uh, the folks at Barcelona. Although it's worth noting, at least, Herc, at least today, uh, there was a victory in Copa del Rey. Barcelona winning 3-1 against Unionistas, which is uh, out of the third tier. It wasn't without a struggle, though. Unionistas actually uh, took the lead early in this. This, of course, comes amid reports that uh, the manager, Xavi, is starting to lose the locker room. Reports that Xavi himself has vehemently denied. Barcelona are fourth in the league, eight points off uh, the leaders. But what's interesting to us here on Football Americas is that reports are, should Xavi go, the replacement would be none other than Mexican legend Rafa Marquez, who of course played at Barcelona and is right now uh, in charge of Barcelona Athletic, their B team. Rodri, what are the chances here that before this season is out, Rafa Marquez is in charge of not the B team, but the first team at Barcelona? He has uh, really great chances to get over uh, the first squad bench. First of all, because Xavi, as we mentioned before, and you mentioned before earlier this week, I mean, he doesn't uh, have the support from the main players of the locker room. And this is something, for me, really important for Xavi, because it's like, okay, we don't really believe in, in what Xavi says any longer. And, and for me, you know, and for Xavi, tonight was a key night for, for Xavi's future, because if he had lost, he would be out of... Uh, Football Club Barcelona squad, you know, uh, right after the game. But I think he, he gained a little bit of oxygen and now he's going to have maybe one, maybe even more weeks to, to prove that he's more than able for, for Barcelona's uh, bench. But at the same time, it's like, you know, Laporta doesn't really trust Xavi anymore. And even I would say that Laporta never uh, never believed in in Xavi, so so that is why he put uh, Rafa Marquez in the second squad of Barcelona, Barcelona Athletic, and that is why Rafa Marquez is more than ready to take over Xavi's bench. As long you know as uh, the, the people are not baking uh, Xavi anymore, you know the people, the players, the locker room are not baking him anymore. It's like okay, Rafa Marquez could be a solution maybe in three two weeks. I don't really know, but I'm sure that. That, that Barca needs something else now at the moment because when you lose the support of your players, it means that you are lost. And maybe Rafa Marquez could be the perfect reset for that first squad of FC Barcelona to say, okay, we need a bit of reset. We need to start over again. And why not Rafa Marquez could be the solution? Listen, Rafa Marquez is walking into the lion's den here. I understand Rafa Marquez from his position. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's not going to come around again. And also for Mexican football, I mean... Javier Aguirre has been, you know, holding it down for decades when it comes to Mexican coaches in Europe, but he's the only one. And if you look today in Liga Mekis, 18 teams, only four Mexican managers. So Mexican football needs this to happen. Rafa Marquez, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But in terms of Barcelona, Rodri, is Rafa Marquez right now an option because he's the best possible candidate? His numbers aren't that great with Barcelona Athletic, with the B team, or because he's the cheapest option? 
Mm. Indeed, is the cheapest option because uh, we know how Barcelona have struggled with the financial issues in the in the last two seasons. Indeed, this is a chance that is really important for Laborda and for the club to say, okay, we're not going to invest in any higher class uh, coach because we got here a, a, a you know a more cheaper option in the club. But at the same time, you know when Laporta talks to the press, uh, you know, off the record about Rafa Marquez, you know, it's like something in his eyes, are, you know, is bright and, and, and it's like he's talking about a future uh, coach that could make history in Barcelona if he ever gets this opportunity. And I, I'm sure, you know, that as they know how the locker room is with Xavi and as they know how Xavi are struggling this season with, with, with the Barcelona games, why not, you know, I know it's the cheapest option, but at the same time, it's like something to hope, you know, something to, to believe in. Because now, if you ask any Barcelona supporter, it's like, okay, why do you support Xavi? And all the people, maybe the 90% of the audience would say, we don't really trust Xavi anymore. I mean, mm. he's proven last year that he could win the title of La Liga, but they never play any good as uh, Barca's DNA should play. And this year is like, okay, we don't win anymore, which is the sun, which is the thing that saved Xavi last season. If you if you don't win and if you don't play well, you're lost in Barca, and that is why maybe Rafa Marquez could be something fresher for Xavi or for Laporta to be in the first squad uh, bench to, to say, okay, I'm here, I'm more than ready to be here and let me get that chance to prove that I could be able to, to manage Barca. What a moment it would be. Herc, to your point, if you're a Mexican manager, go to Spain, go to Costa Rica, go anywhere uh, but Liga MX. Uh, let's talk about more Mexican legends. Next up on our list, Andres Guardado. Uh, who, of course, uh, followed a bit in the footsteps of Rafa Marquez going from Mexico to Europe and having a long career. He's moving. Wrapping up his time on the old continent, the 37-year-old midfielder heading back to Liga Mekis with Leon from Real Betis, where he's been the last seven years. It brings to an end a 17-year run uh, in Europe for Guardado, who, of course, played in five World Cups for El Tri. Uh, Rodri, there's been a lot of great Mexican players uh, to pass through La Liga, some who have had epic success, Hugo Sanchez, uh, Rafa Marquez, who we just talked about. But Andres Guardado leaves a pretty big legacy, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a really respect figure in, in Europe. I think, you know, uh, one guy that has been in more than uh, four, I think he's been in five champions in five World Cups. You know, I think he's he's just a legend. He's a Mexi Mexican legend. And we, we should respect him, you know, because I think what he did in Betis, in the Portugal de la Coruña, what he did in, in the Netherlands, I think is more than important. And for me, he's one of the top three players, three Mexican players of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in, in Europe, when you ask anyone about Guardado, it's like, okay, he has the respect of big, big players, of big Real Madrid, big Barca players. Uh, he's proven that he's more than able to play, you know, at the age that he's now at the moment. He's been important. He's been playing a great role in Betis. You know, uh, we remember what Betis are doing in the last three, four years with Pellegrini on the bench, trying to compete in Europe League and trying to beat Barcelona and Real Madrid. And Guardado was there playing a main role uh, 
that is why Guardado, I think he deserved to, to choose his future. I don't really understand why Guardado didn't uh, go back to Atlas because it would be like, you know, the perfect circle of his career. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you're free and you've gained that freedom to choose whatever you want to go and whatever you want to choose uh, your next destiny. So from here, you know, I'm going to pack my suitcase because tomorrow I'm going to be at his farewell in Sevilla. And this is going to be a really emotional day for, for him with all the partners and the teammates and all the people that's been important for him in his career in Betis. Before you ask me, because I know how your twisted mind works, Sevi, I already know where you're going with this. Let me just say how crazy it is that in mid-2016, I remember reports of Andres Guardado to Atlanta United, Andres Guardado mm -hmm. to Charlotte. And oh, here we are. In that time, he goes to Real Betis and he becomes a historic player. No foreign player has played more games at that club than Andres Guardado. Now, to answer the question you're already thinking of, Seb, because I know how your twisted mind works about his legacy. If I am going Mexican players, and Rodri alluded to it, he would be number four on my list. Because when mm -hmm. I encompass Mexican players of all-time greatness, I go club and country in a combination of what you did in both. I go Rafa Marquez number one. Okay, because Rafa Marquez has the club credentials and country credentials. Hugo Sanchez, because he killed it, absolutely destroyed it at the club level, maybe led a lot of people uh, with a lot to be desired at the national team level, but that club just career is very distinguished. And then I would go Javier Hernandez, that's right, Chicharito Hernandez over Andres Guardado for this simple reason. Andre, Andres Guardado had 17 years in Europe, that's great. But look at the teams he was in while he was in Europe. Uh, Deportivo mm. La Coruña, uh, Valencia, where he was loaned out everywhere. It wasn't a Valencia where he stayed. Uh, it was PSV, where he had some brief, very, very good moments. And then it was Real Betis. Leverkusen, he's played like four games. And then, yes, Chicharito only had a decade in Europe. But look at the clubs. Manchester United, integral parts of their history, integral parts uh, of big moments for Manchester United. Real Madrid, Leverkusen being the best foreign product that year in the Bundesliga. And if you want to go down on the list of the clubs where it didn't go so well, West Ham and Sevilla, still bigger clubs than where Andres Guardado was. And if you want to go national team, I know Andres Guardado mm -hmm. played five World Cups, but take from this what you will. Mexico leads every single country on this earth in World Cups played in their male counterparts, okay? They've got three players that have played five World Cups. Take that, make that of that what you will. Chicharito Hernandez is the all-time leading goal scorer in Mexican national team history. It's a more than respectable career. I wish every single product in CONCACAF, not just Mexico, emulated Andres Guardado. But when it comes to the legacy, I go with uh, Javier Hernandez over him. Look at you sleeping on old school Deport, dude. Those are some good teams back in the day, back in the uh, early 2000s at Deportivo La Coruña. And what other was, I don't know if you remember this, during the Atlas days, at one point linked with Real Madrid. So an interesting sliding doors moment there, what, what might have been for the Mexican legend. Speaking of the Betis midfield, uh, let's talk about a U.S. international that's just made the move from Brazil and Internacional to Betis. That, of course, is uh, Johnny Cardozo, who made the move for $6.3 million. The 22-year-old uh, signed a, dealing, a deal with Betis through 2029. Rodri, this is a very important player for U.S. fans because of the position he plays. Uh, he's kind of the backup to Tyler Adams in that holding defensive midfield, and Adams has been uh, hurt a lot of late. So, Cardoso could be a really big player even this summer um, at Copa America. What kind of role do you think he's going to have uh, with this Real Betis team under Manuel Pellegrini in their 4-2-3-1? 
It will depend on uh, Manuel Pellegrini. We know that he likes to, to work with youngsters, but the thing is that, or maybe the most important uh, thing that he's going to face, Johnny Cardoso, uh, now that he's playing for Betis, is that no one uh, knows him. You know, uh, At the end of the day, it's like, who is Johnny Cardoso? And even I got some WhatsApps from some teammates of uh, Betis that asking me, uh, you know him? You know how he plays? You know what the role is going to have here at Betis? And now we're really knows him the good thing of all is that okay you don't have anything to prove because you don't have maybe uh, you know like a higher background and you're coming to Betis because you paid more than uh, 30 million euros to try to say uh, I'm gonna be the star that is the good thing for him that he doesn't have anything to prove uh, I'm pretty sure that he's gonna have some minutes in this next game in between Betis and Football Club Barcelona uh, mostly because uh, Betis they have uh, Guido and William Carvalho injured and they only have like two middle centers like uh, like Marroca and Altimira and you know Manuel Pellegrini is not really happy with any of them so that's why you know it could be a chance for him to to show and to prove in, in this first weekend to see okay I'm gonna be on the list to play against Barcelona and maybe I get some minutes to try to tell the people how I play and how can I manage this new challenge for him to, to play in La Liga I think it's gonna be a really great chance for him and all the teammates you know once they saw him uh, training with them they are like whoa this guy has quality this guy has attitude and he has character which is something great for betis all right so uh, what do we know all right we know that real betis right now needs warm bodies andres guardado mm -hmm. because of his issues with pellegrini you could say this the cycle had ended but he had issues with manuel pellegrini he's gone he, he's on the other end, so he's no longer in the picture. You've got Guido, you got Guido Rodriguez, uh, who used to play in Club America, who's uh, fractured right now. He's got a fractured leg. He's going to come back in March. And even when he does come back, Rodri can tell us this, he's a Barcelona target. He's a Milan target. Most likely, he's going to leave. Marco Roca, he's, not, he's probably the only guy right now that I could say could stand in Johnny's way. Uh, this is a situation where if you come in right now and play well, you make this position yours. So he's got everything to gain right now and very, very little to lose because he's on a long contract to 2028. Uh, this is a situation where it could only get better for him. Nice. All right. So uh, Johnny Cardozo there uh, could, could be making his Real Betis debut uh, as soon as this weekend against Barcelona. Roger, before we get out of here, I do have to ask you about Alfonso Davies. This much-rumored potential move from Bayern Munich to Real Madrid. We've talked about it um, a lot on this show, but it's coming up this week because the Bayern sporting directors come out and said, quote, we want him to stay longer. But the reports out of Germany are that Davies is asking for 13 to 14 million euros a year uh, in salary, which Bayern are not exactly ready to play. So it's going to take a lot of money, uh, both in terms of just the player salary and a potential transfer fee if you want to buy him away from Bayern Munich. Uh, if Real Madrid are going to pull Alfonso Davies to La Liga, how badly does Real Madrid want Alfonso Davies, Rodri, and how badly do they need this player at left back? Well, I think they need Alfonso Davies and they really like the way Alfonso Davies plays. And they really like, you know, the first talks in between Real Madrid and, and the player because this is not something new in Spain because I think uh, we got to be turning back to one year and a half when Alfonso Davies came up in the main uh, media in Spain, like where when the first rumors linking Alfonso Davies' future with Real Madrid came up. Uh, you know, when you ask Real Madrid sources to... Uh, about Alfonso Davies, they always 
say like, wow, he's mad, man. I mean, he's a great guy. He's so, you know, physically important for, for Real Madrid. He could be a potential signing for Real Madrid. And that is why Real Madrid are working on, on that transfer. The thing is that Real Madrid uh, or Florentino Perez especially, uh, he gets along really well with uh, Bayern Munich board. And that is why they want to respect Bayern Munich. So first of all, they need to, to try to fix the renewal offer. And when Alfonso Davies got that final renewal offer from Bayern Munich, he will value that and he will think about the future. And if he doesn't renew with Bayern Munich, Real Madrid are going to be there because Real Madrid are already there. Okay, if you don't renew with Bayern Munich, we're going to offer you and we're going to try to get a great deal in between clubs to, to make a final offer and bring Alfonso Davies to, to Real Madrid because Carlo Ancelotti wants him, yes or yes, and he could be something important for Real Madrid. Now, at that left back, they only have Fran Garcia. I mean, he doesn't really play anymore. And they have Mendy. If any good offers we reported one year ago come for Mendy, Real Madrid are going to think about selling Mendy and try to bring Alfonso Davies because this is just what they need at the moment to improve the squad. You know how badly they need him? Fran Garcia has not been the answer. Mendy's been often injured. They need him this bad that Camavinga's been playing left back for Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, they have no solution. There. And look at their Copa del Rey game today versus Atletico Madrid. By the way, an amazing game that was on here at ESPN+. Plus. Great game. But look at the later stages when they needed somebody, a change of pace to make a play. Atletico had those players in transition. They didn't. Real Madrid did not. This is a world-class player. I firmly believe the only world-class player in CONCACAF, one of the best players in his position in the world, he's tailor-made for the Galacticos. 13 to 14 million euros a year in salary, Herc. As we often say on this show, get paid. Get paid, Fonzie. Uh, what a moment it would be. There he is, Rodrigo Fáez, our colleague from ESPN. You can check out his work at ESPN.com. You can see him on ESPN Deportes covering La Liga throughout the rest of the campaign. And hopefully soon you'll see him back here on Football Americas. Rodri, thanks for being with us. And a reminder, Real Betis against Barcelona. It could be Johnny Cardozo's debut with Betis Sunday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time here on ESPN+. Plus. Join us for the pregame show as coverage starts at noon Eastern time. All right, let's keep the good times rolling. We'll run it back. Copa del Rey action. Luca de la Torre with a goal and an assist as Celta Vigo won 3-1 over Valencia. All right, can we look at that again? This is sexy. This is how you finish it off. My man lost his starting position back in early December. Has been aching for some time. Got it. A goal and an assist. And what a goal this is, Seb. Wow. Just like they drew it up, uh, I'm sure there. Uh, Seta Vigo, again, 3-1 winners over Valencia in the Copa del Rey. That's the round of 16. So, Luca de la Torre, Rafa Benitez and company through to the quarterfinals. To the Dutch Cup now, Herc, where Malik Tillman got an assist as uh, PSV won also 3-1 over right. Twente in the second right. round. Uh, this guy just keeps going. Five goals, six assists, and all comps. Peter Bosch, his manager, had this to say post-game. I thought Malik was truly fantastic again today. He said again. PSV going to get Feyenoord in the next round of the Cup. But before that, they got to worry about the league. Sunday, it's PSV trying to stay perfect against Utrecht. Coverage starts bright and early Sunday morning, 6.15 a.m. Eastern Time, 3.15 a.m. on the West Coast. 
Football Americas continues here on ESPN with some news about the 2026 World Cup, which we know will be held between the United States, Mexico, and Canada. According to the British press, the 2026 final will be played in Dallas. That's just about, what, nine months after John Sutcliffe told us the same thing. Sunsport are reporting AT&T Stadium, home of the Cowboys, beat out MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, host the final. Martin Lipton is the reporter. Let's give him some credit for uh, breaking the news. Herc, what do you think? Did FIFA get it right? AT&T Stadium hosting the 2026 World Cup final. Yeah, let's give him some credit for breaking the news that John Sutcliffe broke the news on this very show. What was it? Last year? All right, cool. Uh, The right choice. I mean, given the circumstances, and let me talk to you about these circumstances, the lack of foresight from these venues and their ownerships. I mean, MetLife, New York, that area, you know who the owners are? The Giants, the Jets. So the Giants and the Jets and their ownership group didn't have the foresight to put a stadium that could potentially have soccer dimensions or Mm. be in some capacity um, expandable. Guess who also didn't have that foresight? SoFi Stadium here in Los Angeles, which is Stan Kroenke, which is really ironic because you would think an owner of not one, but two soccer teams in two different parts of the world would have the foresight to build such a spectacular stadium and say, one day, maybe, I know the World Cup is on the horizon, Los Angeles can host a World Cup final. Why don't I make it expandable? Why don't I make it so it has the dimensions that are FIFA approved and its requirements? Guess what? Arlington, Dallas, it doesn't have the dimensions either. But Jerry Jones doesn't care. He's willing to rip up his stadium, rip up those stands for the dimensions to go in to have a FIFA World Cup. He's willing to do that because guess what? He knows exactly what the World Cup final is and what it will generate for his city, what it will generate for that state, what it would mean for Arlington. Right choice? Sure, because where are you going to have it? I mean, Chicago, Soldier Field? No. Miami? No. This is just a lack of foresight It's infuriating because it should be in Los Angeles. Again, it should be in Los Angeles. It's the right choice because we know what the motives are here for FIFA, right? The motives are always down to money. So this is the most profitable of choices. And and we've said that for a very long time. One, if you look at the luxury suites, AT&T Stadium has a a ton of them. You can make a lot of money there. Um, Beyond that, Herc, though, the roof is important, right? You know you you got to control for TV. You want your final to go off regardless of heat, or rain. In New York, you don't have that guarantee. At SoFi, I guess you've got the guarantee because of the roof, but obviously, you know, the the limitations from, you know, width, length, all that is the issue with SoFi. There's a lot of people on the coast, I think, who are kind of, maybe bitter is the wrong word, but surprised at this. I think a lot of folks thought New York, LA, those are the obvious ones. But Dallas here makes a lot of sense. The point you bring up about Jerry Jones, very important. He's got to nail the field for this because this isn't going to be, and I was there for the Barcelona-Real Madrid preseason Clásico where they kind of, you know, they bring in the grass that they've grown outside the stadium and they bring it in in pieces, they wedge it together. And that might get you through a one friendly, uh, but that's not going to cut it at the World Cup. The, 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 what FIFA wants from their fields uh, is a lot more. So Jerry Jones usually gets what he wants, Herc. But he's going to have to nail this field because you're in an indoor stadium for a World Cup final. And uh, that could get ugly if it's not done right. 
usually gets what he wants. Have you not been watching the NFL playoffs? Uh, yeah. Look, he's got to he's got to get he's got to get it right no matter what. And it's not going to be a one off like you see in these friendlies where mm. they roll up the field. They're gonna, uh, if anything, rip up that turf and, and put the field over it and let it cement and stick for a while so it can be used during this World Cup process. I don't think it's just going to be a you play for the final. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some group games there. There's going to be whatever the case may be there. So it needs to be intact, absolutely. But I've got no doubts that it will be intact. I'm just more lamenting what you just said about the people out on the coast in New York and Los Angeles. If it was in Los Angeles, the number two choice was obviously New York. But I can't mm-hmm. believe it wasn't Los Angeles. I mean... It, we can't go to the Rose Bowl. You can't use the Rose Bowl. It's outdated. I know it's historic, but it's historic for a reason. Um, they wouldn't upgrade it to the liking of FIFA with the plush seating and everything else. So, so far, it just made sense. And, and the lack of foresight here by Stan Kroenke, who is a soccer guy. The Kroenke's are uh, soccer allegedly, people. Allegedly. Listen, man. Listen, man. This is their business. This is their money. They're in this business. They are soccer people. The lack of foresight here is insane to me. Uh, Saturday, February 4th, I believe is the date we're going to get the official kind of World Cup site schedule. So mark that on your calendars. You can start your planning early for 2026. We got more FIFA news here, Herc, because it is award season after all. FIFA announcing the best awards earlier this week. Shocker. Breaking news, ticker alert, Lionel Messi won it uh, for the third time. Won it also in 2019 and 2022, beating out Erling Haaland. Actually, in a tiebreaker, Messi had more first place votes. And Kylian Mbappe, who finished third. Worth noting, the World Cup, not included in the time frame, not included in the criteria for this award. So this is just for what he did at PSG and then eventually Inter-Miami. Herc, does this in any way validate Inter-Miami, Major League Soccer, or even League's Cup, the title that Messi won. The tiebreaker was the captain's vote, by the way. Um, and, and, and why are you the way you are? Why would you ask this question, Seb? Like, mm-hmm. why, why would you phrase this question this way? Like, like Messi winning the best validates Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. You said it yourself right there. I mean, it's crazy to me that people think the World Cup or what Messi did in his past somehow validates him winning this. The only thing this validates is that this is a stupid trophy, a stupid made-up trophy that was only, its only sole purpose is to rival FIFA, to rival the Ballon d'Or, because that's not their award ceremony. And the people who vote, the captains who vote, the players, the fans, they still think the World Cup has something to do with this voting criteria. Excuse me. There is no way on God's green earth that Erling Haaland, wins everything you can possibly win, and in the process, breaks individual records, and we're sitting here having this conversation. I mean, Messi himself, Messi himself was so embarrassed, he didn't even bother going to the ceremony to pick up the award. It's stupid, it's made up, it's a joke. But do you know how bad Inter-Miami were hurt? Do you know how bad they were before Messi got here? That's truly what the turnaround uh, is about here. This is in no way validation for Messi, for League's Cup, for MLS, for Inter-Miami. This is a popularity contest, as these votes um, often are. If you want to blame anybody, though, Herc, I want people to not blame the media, because the press got this right. The press voted for Erling Haaland. The coaches voted for Erling Haaland. It was the fans and the captains that chose Lionel Messi, including Herc, Captain America. Christian Pulisic went 
Messi, Mbappe, Holland. Greg Berhalter, the U.S. manager, he was a little different. He went Rodri, Holland, uh, and then Messi. That's strange. You left out Memo Choa, who also voted for Messi. Mm. Listen, don't trust players. Half these players don't watch the games, and they don't know the criteria. I guarantee you every single person who voted Messi thought the World Cup was still in the criteria. And then I could say, you're right. And this is definitely not on Messi. Like, poor guy. Like, he's mm -hmm. one of the most lovable figures in the history of any sport. People are going to vote for him. And that's just the case. It's a popularity contest, just like you said. Yep. Lothar Mateus, the uh, German great, came out and said it was uh, undeserved as he hadn't won any major titles. we got to get uh, Lothar watching a little bit more League's Cup. Let's move <laughs> to Saudi Arabia, Herc, where the exodus is well and truly on. Uh, ESPN reporting that Karim Benzema is, quote, exploring his options in the transfer window after six months at Al Ittihad in the Saudi Pro League. The 36-year-old has scored 15 goals in 24 games, but is said to be unhappy. This on the same day, Jordan Henderson completed his move to Ajax from the Saudi League. Hurt, uh, what do we make of all these departures? Is it something, nothing, or everything? It's something, that's for sure. Let me tell you why it can't be everything, right? Kareem Benzema doesn't need the money. Like, if he stops playing today, the game, it's not going to affect him. It's not going to affect, you know, future generations of the Benzemas. That's not how it works. So it's not everything there. But, but it, it, it's something in that these players are starting to realize that what they signed up for wasn't what they signed up for or wasn't what they thought it would be. Now, when the average incoming transfer, when those players who aren't the Kareem Benzema's, who aren't that, of that stature, when they start leaving, when those players start heading out, that's when you're going to have a problem. But this just confirms what we already knew, that Saudi Arabia is the new China. When you saw the influx of players going to China because of the money and how long that lasted. Listen, when the money dries up, the players are going to leave. And when they realize that they have the money in their disposal, they have the money at hand and that the country isn't what they thought it would be, they're going to head out. Sooner or later, this is going to dry up. So it's something. But right now, it's been some, it's what can be, what, excuse me, what it can be tomorrow that'll make it everything. Yeah. I wonder how much of it is the country and how much of it is the football, because we're hearing reports that, one, the level is not up to these guys, and then the infrastructure, right? Uh, you can turn on the games. If you can find them, you can see there's, like, nobody in the stands in some of these stadiums. It's truly shocking for the investment that they put in, just kind of how little interest there actually seems to be on the ground. Herc, if I'm thinking about this from, like, an MLS perspective, it may not be everything, but it's pretty close. I mean... The type of players that were being pulled to the Saudi league were the exact type of players that we know work in Major League Soccer, sometimes on the field, but very often off the field. They're the, those are the stars. And there's no better way, especially in this new world of subscriptions and chasing subscriptions and getting people to truly put money down to buy your product than having superstars. So the fact that one, some of the guys already in Saudi are maybe looking for somewhere else to go, I think we might see some of them in Major League Soccer. But it also sends a message to the next waves of guys. They're going to see this and say, if Karim Benzema on $100 million a year couldn't be happy for more than six months, I may not be happy there, and I'm going to consider um, MLS. You know who else this may also be everything for? LAFC. I don't know if you saw this, but today they added two international roster spots in a trade with Seattle. I'm not saying... 
But what what a way to change the dynamic in the Denis Bawanga negotiations. You say, oh, you want more money, Denis? Cool, 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 cool. We're talking to Karim Benzema. <laughs> Your mind works in twisted ways, and I love it. Listen, Karim Benzema in Major League Soccer makes a lot of sense. LAFC, I do not know. Hugo Lloris just came there. I, I don't know what the situation of Hugo Lloris and Karim Benzema when they were on the French national team, what that situation mm. was. You know there was a massive divide between a lot of those players and Karim, who knows what side of the fence he was on. But it, it makes a lot of sense having a player of that stature in Major League Soccer. Been linked to a, a lot of big clubs in Europe, of course. Uh, Chelsea may be interested. Some talk of a return to Real Madrid, but doesn't look like that is in the cards. Speaking of Real Madrid, Herc, did you hear these comments from former Real Madrid manager Fabio Capello? Had some uh, interesting things to say about American ownership, this in light of Roma's dismissal of Jose Mourinho. Quote, it seems to be that these American owners have a strange way of handling things with no respect for those who work for them. There is no sensitivity around there. There is business. They are the owners and they decide, but I believe in something more, in a certain sense of respect for those working with you, saying goodbye in a different way rather than with a cold statement or a cold call. Herc, should Capello get lost here for his criticisms of American ownership? No, because specifically here, uh, he may have a point. Uh, listen, it, it's, a, it's a great point. It, it really is. Um, Jose Mourinho comes to Roma, and in Roma there was a 14-, 15-year you know, drought without a trophy. He delivers a trophy. He delivers finals, European finals, the Mourinho effect. Uh, for the first time in their history, 40 straight sellout games at Estadio Olimpico. There was a buzz about the team that wasn't there before with Mourinho, and they sack him, and, and he's done. And in the way they did it, it was very cold. I understand that. So I'm not going to tell him to get lost there. But I will remind Fabio Capello of where Italian football has been the last decade and a half, if not more, in dire financial stress. Billions of dollars lost, record financial losses for a lot of these clubs. And where they are today because of foreign investment. Uh, Milan, Milan, AC Milan is finally profitable profitable American ownership. A lot of these teams are finally not in the red, not bleeding themselves dry. Why? Foreign ownership. And the majority of that foreign ownership is American ownership. Italian football was dead. They are reviving it. So I will remind Fabio Capello of where they were. But he's right. Maybe the tact leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, I guess the backstory here is the way Mourinho found out, right? Apparently he turns up to training. They hadn't let him know ahead of time. There was kind of some awkwardness there. Uh, Capello also was referencing something that happened at Milan with Paolo Maldini and the new ownership, maybe um, the treatment there. But you can't just label it as American owners, right? If, if we have a an example, Herc, of a disrespectful owner in Serie A, it's got to be De Laurentiis at Napoli, right? Oh, I mean, he had yes. Rudy Garcia in the job and was saying, you know, I don't know if this guy's fit for the job while the guy was still the coach of his team. So um, it's, listen, can American ownership... Lozano to leave. I mean, yeah. I mean, so I just think there's there's a lot of examples of ownership kind of getting this stuff wrong, but saying that it's, it's just the American owners that don't have tact, I think is uh, missing the mark quite a bit. Capello's former team, as we mentioned, Real Madrid, they will be on uh, ESPN Plus this coming weekend, taking on Almeria Sunday. 
coverage begins at 9.45 a.m. Eastern time ahead of a 10.15 a.m. kickoff. Again, that's Real Madrid against Almeria right here on ESPN Plus Sunday. To the women's game, where uh, FIFA also handing out awards. Aitana Bonmati of Spain won the best, and there was hurt just one American in FIFA Pro's best 11. Bit of a surprise as to who it was, Alex Morgan. The 34-year-old forward had seven goals and five assists for San Diego Wave in NWSL play, but of course had a very disappointing World Cup, registering zero goals in four starts for the U.S. women's national team. Herc, your thoughts on Alex Morgan making FIFA's best 11? Are you cool with it? This is another one of those, it's even worse than the best because this is peer voted. Like, FIFA Pro is your, are your peers. Your peers vote you there, so players vote you there. Uh, I, I don't know how many of these players got to see her NWSL season where you said she scored seven goals, five assists, right? She was named to the best 11, in, oh, best 11 second team honors in NWSL. Uh, and in her campaign in 2023, this is not against Alex Morgan because she's had many great years, but this is more mm -hmm. recognition for who she is historically and who she is as a figure than what she did in 2023. She had two goals, five assists across all competitions for the national team that year. None of those goals came in the World Cup. And what makes this worse, and this is not on Alex Morgan, this is more on how these prizes go about, how they're named and who votes for them. Naomi Gurma is one of the like biggest names right now in American soccer on the women's side. Uh, easily, easily the flag bearer to world-class players that they have. She wasn't even on the finalist list. So. Mm. Take from it what you will. Am I cool with it? It's another peer, you know, popularity contest voting type of trophy. Um, it, it's cool to see Alex for a sixth time get nominated. Nobody's going to remember this when we look at, back at her legendary career, but does she absolutely deserve it in 2023? No. Yeah. I mean, if we complain about this being a popularity contest on the men's side, it's even worse on the women's side. I feel like for whatever reason, probably because there's not as many games on TV on the women's side, the voters are just like less clued in. And you get some names that probably deserve to be on these lists like four or five years ago that stay on these lists for four or five years longer than they should have. She's not even the best American. Like, I don't know that an American belongs on the best 11, certainly after the World Cup that we just witnessed her. But if I was going to pick one, Germa would be a great choice. I'd throw Lindsey Horan up there, but I'd pick a bunch of players uh, from this American team before I got to Alex Morgan, specifically for 2023. Another thing about this 11 that's just a real head-scratcher, Herc, is remind me again, who won the World Cup? Spain. <laughs> yeah, and how many Spanish players were in this 11? I two. think I saw two, yeah. yeah. Two? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy to me. So, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that FIFA does lists like this. It's good for the women's game. It's good that we're talking about it, but let's, let's make these Seven lists. Seven English players, right? Let's make these lists reflective of what everybody's yeah. actually, you know, seeing on the field. Let's get to some more moves and some news from around the National Women's Soccer League because the hot stove is heating up. Let's start with Mallory Swanson, her, who's actually staying put. She signed a four-year deal with the Chicago Red Stars as an option for a fifth, but it'll keep her in the Windy City at least through 2028. It's reportedly the richest contract in NWSL history with an annual salary of $400,000 a year and a total value of right around $2 million. So Mallory Swanson staying put with the Chicago Red Stars. The money all over NWSL. Elsewhere in the league, 
I hate this. Ashley Sanchez traded from the Washington Spirit to the North Carolina Courage. On draft night, uh, Sanchez heading south in exchange for the fifth pick and allocation money. Sanchez had been with the Washington Spirit since they drafted her back in 2020. A very busy draft day for the Spirit who traded not just Ashley Sanchez, but Sam Staub as well, a couple of fan favorites there. Those are some moves within the NWSL, but what about a move from the NWSL to Europe? Emily Fox is headed overseas, sealing her move from Racing Louisville to Arsenal. The 25-year-old defender joins Arsenal, who right now are third in the WSL for the second half of their season. Herc, these are three big moves, but which for you is the biggest? Uh, that would be Mallory Swanson. Pew, pew, pew! Uh, let me tell you about Mallory Swanson, why it's a big move on many fronts. I'll start with, you knew Mallory Swanson, excuse me, was a free agent. So, so with this free agency, if you're gonna get a player like Mallory Swanson, who, who completely tore it up last year before her injury, especially for the national team, seven goals in six games. I mean, she was on a tear. She was gonna be on that plane to the World Cup. You gotta go big, and they did. So this is good for the league. This is good for the players. This is good for the Players Association, the Players Union. It seems like every week in this offseason, yep. I've read record signing in NWSL. And this goes back to last year when it was Trinity Rodman, record deal for Trinity Rodman. Maria Sanchez, record deal for Maria Sanchez. Now it's a record deal for Mallory Swanson. So that is massive, big right there. But also, it's a massive move for the NWSL because we had Jeff Kasouf on this very program not too long ago, and he talked about the perception abroad in Europe of the NWSL and mm -hmm. how maybe they don't give it the respect it deserves. So how do you get that respect? By maintaining your talent, your world-class talent. Mallory Swanson is a world-class player, and she was at the height last year about to play a World Cup where she was going to be one of the most important players and gets injured. You retain that talent, you retain credibility. This is a massive move for all. You know why I like it, Herc? There's a lot of, like, 2.0 teams in NWSL. If there was ever a 1.0 team, Chicago Red Stars felt like they were that. And so for them to break the record here and to invest in this player, uh, you got to love it. Not just from a Chicago standpoint, but as you're saying, a league standpoint as well. I'm going to go a little different here. Um, first of all, I did not. Bad draft night for your boy. Ashley Sanchez getting traded from the Washington Spirit. Hit right in the heart. Sam Staub leaving too. Didn't like that one. But I feel like Emily Fox going to Arsenal is important because it kind of breaks the mold. This is something you and I have been talking about on this show for a long time, especially after the last World Cup. And then as we see all these lists come out, right, for global awards, we see fewer and fewer players in the NWSL being put on these lists. And just if we look at the end of the last World Cup, when you got to the real brass tacks, the biggest games, fewer and fewer NWSL players on the field. I said it after the World Cup, especially with Emma Hayes coming, it feels like some of these players to take that next step may need to go to Europe. Emily Fox right now is first choice on that back line. She's right in the prime of her career at 25 years old. And I think this is a great move from her because we don't know her, what it could mean to her upside, right? Right now, if she stays in NWSL, no doubt she'll continue to improve and get a little bit better. But this to me, you're looking for lightning in a bottle. We could see major improvements here from Emily Fox, which would not just help shore up the American back line, but you know how it is. In the modern game, you're outside backs. That's a huge part of how you attack. So 
thinking that Emily Fox could be a big part of this team for not just the next Olympics and World Cup, but maybe even beyond that, given her age, I think the move to Arsenal um, is a very, very big one. And I wonder if it's going to open the door her, to more players from NWSL, at least considering a European option. It should open the door for more. And I've struggled with this one recently because I go about and I think, and it's not like the men's game, Seb, where there's a massive, massive divide, a, a massive step between domestic football in the States and European right. football. So it's a case-by-case -case situation. And I ask myself, how much better is the English league than, than NWSL? But it's the Champions League. It's the possibility mm -hmm. of playing in Champions League, playing against some of the best players in the world that does it for me right there. Uh, and I think you're right. Yep. And it's also an exposure just to different tactics, right? We know, we know the NWSL, it's a lot of the same. You go over to Europe, you're going to see, I think, some, some pretty different looks depending on which team you're playing on the day. You get a lot of looks checking out the Bundesliga here on ESPN+. Plus. We got Leipzig against Bayern, Bayer Leverkusen coming up on the weekend. So this is Leipzig in fourth against your league leaders, Leverkusen. Coverage starts at noon Eastern time ahead of a 12.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff here on ESPN+. Plus. That's Leipzig Leverkusen on Saturday. Don't miss it. Massive game in the Bundesliga. Time for our parting shot. Hercules here on Football Americas. And we've got more awards, your favorite subject. Uh, this time from U.S. Soccer, where your male player of the year is Christian Pulisic. And your young male player of the year is Kevin Paredes. Now, for Pulisic, it's his fourth time winning, which puts him on par with, wouldn't you know it, Landon Donovan. How about that? Christian. Oh, there he is. Hey, man, congrats. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lynn. I appreciate it. Man. Thank you for everything you're doing. Congrats, man. And um, you can slow down now. You don't need to get, you don't need to win anymore. You're 25 and now you're, uh, you're overtaking all of us. <laughs> all right, Herc, uh, who did you vote for, for your U.S. soccer player of the year? I'm sorry, was it, what? Was it Pulisic? What'd you say? I dozed Who off. did you vote for? I slept. Uh, mm. I voted for Ricardo Pepe. Can, can I have for a second? Ricardo Pepe should have won it. Anthony Robinson should have at least been nominated. Rant, rant, mm -hmm. rant, rant, rant. And okay. For a second, can we go back to that video? Like, how awkward was that? It, it, wasn't it Landon Donovan who on national television mm -hmm. told the world that Christian Pulisic should go to Major League Soccer and not AC Milan? And now mm -hmm. here he is presenting Christian Pulisic with the U.S. Men's National Player of the Year, partly for his play in AC Milan. Yes. And now he's arguably one of the best players at AC Milan, one of the best players in Serie A. Like, ah, this, is, this just writes itself. To be fair, I do believe Landon Donovan has walked that opinion back quite a bit uh, oh, in good. recent days. I was so, not aware, so uh, good, good. I was not aware. Okay. So uh, congratulations to Christian Pulisic. Congratulations to Kevin Paredes. Congratulations as well to the aforementioned Naomi Germerherk. She is your female player of the year, as well as Olivia Maltree, who is your young female player of the year for U.S. soccer. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Before we get out of here, Herc, what you wearing there? That's, that's some fire. I was told this is from Miami, and uh, mm. I want to go back to Miami. Biscayne, I'll see you out there. All I bet you do. What you got? Where, Shout what out MSI. The good folks in the DMV will know all about that. We will be back on is Monday. Is that a major soccer league shirt? 
Uh, Montgomery Soccer Incorporated, oh. brother. Oh. Uh, on Monday's show, Sam Mewis joins us. Can't wait to get the, uh, the latest from her as uh, she joins us here on Football Americas Monday. Don't miss it.